Welcome to the Fury Theory Podcast, brought to you by EFP Advocacy. Uh, we have that sound of music on, Shake It Off by Taylor Swift. This is the Shake It Off edition. We've all got to shake off a lot of things. We've got to shake off this election. Uh, sometimes you go on TV and you have a bad interview. you got to shake that off. You, sometimes you have a bad golf game. you got to shake it off. I am joined by our all-star cast. John Easton, the E, Adam Belmar, the B. Uh, John Easton, what are you shaking off today? I'm shaking off uh, Halloween a little bit, uh, which is a wonderful day of the year. Wonderful day. I'm shaking off the aforementioned bad television interview, which it wasn't me. I wasn't bad. It's what I want to tell you right now. Okay, I'm shaking it off. So Gore Vidal said you should never turn down a chance to be on TV or have sex. Um, <laughs> well, I feel like I got <laughs> on TV today. So, family show, family oh, we, show. We're gonna, we're gonna, Should we start over? <laughs> no, no, no. We're gonna bleep that out. That's gonna be bleeped, hopefully. So let's get to the theories. Theory one: predict it. We all have our predictions. Um, sometimes we get them right, and sometimes we get them wrong. Uh, I have been predicting for quite a while now that the Republicans would keep the House. That prediction is not looking particularly strong right now, but I'm going to stick with it because why change now? Um, there, here's what we predicted about the election last year. Oh, we're not going to run that videotape, are we? Okay, we'll move forward. Um, Washington has pretty much already decided that this election is over. I'm not sure if that's the wisest decision given what people predicted for Donald Trump. Um, but here's my theory. We should give the voters a chance before we kind of make decisions based on our predictions. We should actually let reality roll out and see what happens. Uh, John Easton, I remember pretty well what happened with the Donald Trump prediction, and all these offices hired Hillary Clinton people because they figured Hillary was going to be president. The media all thought that Hillary was going to be president. Um, don't you think we should wait till all the votes are cast? That is our system. That is our system. It's, uh, it's only over after all the ballots are counted. But what you are referring to, 2016, November, was the most amazing thing in Washington, D.C. that I have ever seen in terms of a race result. I mean, you don't even give it justice, the, the kind of the expectation that people had that Hillary Clinton was going to be the next president of the United States. It, it was everybody. I mean, maybe not everybody, but it was, it was like you said, people were, were making economic hiring decisions based on it. Incredible. I, we, you know, I've, we've got a couple of memos uh, written by our competitors uh, in the lobbying business already kind of saying what's going to happen, uh, Adam Belmar, after the election. We don't actually know what's going to happen, do we? No, but I had a chance to take a look at those memos, and I think that uh, you know they were largely predicated upon open source material from things like Real Clear Politics and the Cook Political <laughs> Report. Um, and in terms of breaking down what's going to happen, at least in terms of leadership and committees, yeah, that was all really safe stuff. They said very, very little. Certainly not the kind of stuff I would pay $40,000 a month to pay for. <laughs> but at EFB, you can get the real stuff, not here, but behind closed doors, we'll give it to you, the real stuff, uh, for a whole lot less. But listen, when you talk about uh, giving the, the, the voters a chance to vote before we call the winners and the losers... I just want to say that uh, the predictions have long been predicated upon 
history okay a president in his first term usually loses seats this is compounded by the fact that we had a lot of retirements as john easton has pointed out over the last couple of weeks some very tough redistricting realities and uh, the cook political report has put 28 republican seats as toss-ups the democrats only need to win 24 in order to regain a majority in the house I think that it is very likely, and I'm willing now to predict and concede, that the Democrats will indeed take control of the House on Tuesday night. Uh, John, John Easton, you've been, been on that bandwagon for a while. Do you still think that's going to happen? Yeah, I do. And, and, and I think back to the original question about, um, you know, should we wait until the election to actually uh, really see what, what's going to happen? I, I think... Yes, because I think and part of the reason why some of these prognosticators are, are playing it safe right now is because of what happened in 2016. I mean, and, and, and is that mood and is that sort of uh, feeling still out there in the electorate writ large that is tired of people just giving me lip service and not, not doing anything, tired of them going back there and just go along, get along, and feathering their own nests? I mean, it was... Obviously, to elect Donald Trump, it had to have been deep-seated, and it could still be out there, and it still could be very, very uh, determinative on November 6th. So I think that's part of the reason why all the toss-ups that Adam is mentioning and the, and the, and the Senate seats that are all basically toss-ups, um, you have just this level of uncertainty, again, that is, we haven't seen in, in, in decades. Adam Belmar, looking back at history, what was the prediction – that you think, and you can talk about sports, you can talk about politics, you can talk about anything, that turned out to be the biggest disaster, the biggest thing that was wrong. Looking back in your, in, your, in my view, uh, I remember when everyone predicted that uh, at the Super Bowl that Tom Brady was going to win the Super Bowl against, I think it was the Denver Broncos, right, um, a couple years ago. And everyone was like, was it the Denver? I can't remember. The, was it over when the Germans bombed over? <laughs> uh, but there was, a, there was a time where never, the, Tom Brady was going to win the Super Bowl, and he lost. And, you know, sometimes you, you just kind of let them play the game. You know what? I'll, I'll bring it back to politics and give you an off-base off, off answer there. There was, back in the summer of 2000, after the election, Al Gore has finally lost and gone away, and the president is President Bush is generally being regarded as a know nothing who's cloistered at his Texas ranch trying to deal with the big question of the day what should the federal government do about supporting embryonic stem cell research? Well, a month after the decision was made, we were struck as a country on 9-11, which changed the conversation completely. But the prognosticators, the prediction was that this would be an unrecoverable mistake for medical science. And, of course, that was 100% incorrect. Um, and we can debate why, but we know that embryonic stem cells, while they have enormous promise, are not solely those stem cells that can be researched. And we've found enormous promise in other types of stem cells. And stem cell technology uh, has gone leaps and bounds and brought us to places that people predicted we would never get. So I think people love to predict the worst and are often proven out just to be wrong. Johnny, do you have any... Uh Big predictions that went wrong, went haywire. I, I one of the, of the elections that comes to mind 
right away is the uh, Lisa Murkowski uh, Senate race in Alaska, I believe 2014. 14. Um, she loses her primary, and then she turns around and runs as an independent and wins the general election as an independent. That um, turnaround, it's not like she said she pulled, a, I don't know if Joe Lieberman lost and then ran, or if he just ran as an independent, I can't remember, but it's very difficult to pull off a race as an independent. As we know, there are two major political parties, and usually you have to be with one of them to win, and that was a surprise, big surprise, and, and you know, hats off to her because she, she you know, did that herself. The danger of trying to predict the future is you make decisions based on predictions that turn out not to be accurate. For example, uh, in 1992, uh, 1990, when George H.W. Bush had just invaded uh, Iraq, his, he had approval ratings of 91%. Everyone just automatically assumed that he was going to win re-election. A guy named Bill Clinton said, well, I'm going I'm to run now. And he was pretty much the only guy. He ran against a guy named Paul Songus. Remember Paul Songus? Absolutely. And kind of a weak opponent. Because he had, you know, Clinton had the balls to run, and he runs and he wins the nomination, and all of a sudden people turn on George H. W. Bush. A guy named Ross Perot jumps in the election. So this is what happens when you make uh, faulty premises, f- faulty predictions based on false premises. Well, I feel compelled to at least go back to that one and say that there were a lot of other things going on. The read my lips, no new taxes hurt him tremendously. No question. And but then, but the Iraq War happened happened after no new taxes. You're right. Um, there 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 was uh, upswing. But that joy sort of began to, to come back down, and people started to look at the rest of their world and say the economy is really not that great. And, you know, I think that's one of the things, quite frankly, that Donald Trump has capitalized on. When you, keep the, when you increase the cadence of the conversation and you peg it to being able to code what the popular discussion is, you can be very impactful. We're seeing that with the president right now, actually. So in 1970, Paul Ehrlich who is a future, futurologist, someone who liked to make bold predictions, predicted that we were going to have a global catastrophe of epic proportions because, and we couldn't feed a bunch of people because of things like global warming and other kinds of things. He, he just kind of predicted that the world was going to end, basically. And he was wrong. I mean, so you got to be careful on who's making the well, predictions. Well, I, I, would, I would suggest that uh, a recent political event, the... Um the confirmation of, of Brett Kavanaugh was supposed to bring down the really the end of the republic. And he's into several weeks now, a month into his first term, and God, we're still here. And we're actually And the rule of law, it still stands. It's, it's, amazing. it's amazing. And no one really even cares about him anymore. <laughs> Theory two, final arguments. So, guys, we have our final arguments going into the, the last couple days of the election. On the one hand, you have Donald Trump, making it all about immigration, talking about birthright citizenship, worried about this caravan of people who can barely, you know, eat because they don't, you know, I mean, it's not like a, it's not like the, 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 the panzer division is coming in from, from oh, through Belgium. Um, so, but he's talking about that. He's talking about uh, pinning all, he's got this new ad. Did you see that ad, uh, Adam Belmar, that he, he ran that's uh, kind of Rodney King-esque? You mean he tweeted a tweeted an, an ad? ad. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, and that's a really, really good point. Mm-hmm. It's unclear in, in, in this age, and I think, are we going to have to play it? Should I be? Pl- I don't. I refuse to play it. I'm just going to say that it's right. disgusting. We're not going to play that ad, uh, but <laughs> our president tweeted it out. <laughs> he did tweet it out, and once I finally saw it, 
I'm very upset by it. And just the language in, in, in this human um, that's in it is just vile and disgusting and illustrative of the hate and, 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 and uh, just the worst part of human nature. Um, but the president seems to enjoy it because it, it's about blaming the Democrats. Yeah. Um, on immigration. On and immigration. Uh, yeah. so, so it's a tough ad. Uh, if you don't want to see it on the show, uh, you're not going to see it on the show, but you can see it uh, if you go to the president's Twitter feed. Anyway, the, the point here being the president is making this election, his final argument about immigration, uh, actually a topic where he's made no progress. I mean, the wall's not really being built. He's got nothing on the Dreamers. So he's trying to scare people on immigration. The Democrats, on the other hand, their final argument is two things. First, they're talking a lot about health care. Right. The vast majority of their ads about health care and about Republicans trying to get rid of pre-existing conditions, which is actually a false ad because they did not try to get rid of pre-existing conditions. But that's what the ads are all about. And then the other kind of bigger theme is we want to be a check on the president. Uh, my theory on this, guys, is that the president should have talked about the economy. Because, A, it's the strongest. He's actually accomplished some things on that. And actually, if the Democrats take over, um, you know, that, that's actually in, in danger because they're going to try to put more taxes. They're going to put more regulations, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, John Easton and Adam Belmar, what do you guys think? What do you think of these two final arguments, and which one do you think is better? You know, I agree with you about uh, ending. It's always good as a Republican to make your final argument about economics, about jobs, about, about taxes. I mean, that is the, the, the anchor of the Republican Party. But I, I don't think that that is Donald Trump. It's not emotional enough for, for Donald Trump. Donald Trump needs an emotional wedge issue to pound because nobody will pound it and pound it and divide like this guy. And Because a, a Democrat can't come back and, and, and um, counterpunch him because he's just going to go even further. So I, I think that this is just who he is. And what he's essentially saying is it's like him driving a pickup truck and saying, all you Republican candidates – Jumping back, I got this, yeah. and and I'm I'm going to drive, and hopefully I won't drive you off the cliff. But and everybody's on board, everybody's on board because you know they say his approval ratings in 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 the um, in a lot of these comp- these competitive Senate races, such as Missouri and you know Arizona and and maybe not Arizona, but you know some of the the North Dakota, uh, Tennessee. I mean, his approval rating is up over fifty percent. And so these Republicans are going along with this, and they're, they're just not making much of a fuss about it and just hoping, crossing their fingers, that he doesn't go too far. So, uh, Adam Belmar, is he driving the bus off the cliff, or does he know where he's going? I, I would submit that he knows where he's going, and it has very little, in fact, to do with the closing arguments of the 2018 cycle, but the beginning arguments of the 2020 cycle. This, this man has been barnstorming, literally barnstorming this nation uh, for weeks. Every night he's out there yeah. doing these huge rallies, which he loves, which his base loves. And what worked before? Immigration. He's basically predicated his 2020 reelect on promises made, promises kept. And you know what? You made a lot of promises. You kept a lot of promises. You may or may not be able to do a bit more before you get to your reelection, Mr. President. But you're back to immigration. Um, and you know what? I, I understand. I think, I think I understand it. And I think there's some pretty good arguments to be made. And for the people that hate the president and find his rhetoric 
to be offensive. There's nothing new here. You know, the, uh, the birthright citizenship, the characterization of the caravan as an invasion, this is in keeping with who this guy is. You elected him, folks. You put him there. Um, I think one thing that I learned this morning in asking John Fury this very same question is, what the hell are these troops going to do down there, John? Tell the people. What do you think they're actually going to do? Well, they're going to spend a lot of time constructing tents so that these folks can, when they come here, they're not going to get shot. They're going to be admitted then they're going to be processed for asylum, and then they're going to be put in tents, and then who knows what's going to happen. And probably at the end of the day, these troops will probably end up going back home. Uh, but, John Easton, thinking about this topic and immigration versus the economy, and you talked about how all the Republicans are trying to get in the same pickup truck and, and go with them. Some Republicans don't really want to get in that pickup truck. I'm thinking of, like, Carlos Carmelo. I'm talking about um, Lan- Leonard Lance from uh, from New Jersey. The, Democrat, the Republicans who are in districts that were won by Hillary Clinton, does this message, what message would have worked better, the immigration message or the, the economy message? Well, the, the economic, I mean, look, the, the, each individual candidate's got to run their own race. And, and if it helps them to say, um, you know, Mr. President, I don't agree with you on this, then they're going to do it. I mean, Martha McSally uh, in Arizona obviously tied with uh, Kirsten Sinema for the Arizona Senate seat is saying, nah, you don't need to come do a rally here. And and that is, of course, the good news is President Trump honors that, and he, and he gets that. He's a he's a pro when it comes to these these campaigns. But I do believe that as a, a party, they're in the back of the pickup truck, and he's driving it really fast. Well, and you, you, to your bigger point, this is an election. It's a nationalized election. And people can't ex- escape the, the Trump Death Star. I mean, as much as they might want to, this, this is, don't you think it's about Trump? Well, it, it is about Trump, and here's a question back. If, if he did, I mean, I think the three of us, if, if we were running you know, your generic campaign, would, would absolutely push the economic message right. all the way, every day, tax cuts, you know, job growth, economic growth. If President Trump focused on, it, on, a, on the economy and jobs and, and taxes, let's just say, for the last month, and that was his closing argument. What do you think the energy be like out there? Do you think this would be the right closing argument? I don't know. It's a good question. No, I, I think that it would be the wrong closing argument because no matter how much adrenaline you pump into the guy, he cannot make an energetic, full-throated defense of any of that. It's just not his gig. He had trouble carrying the water across the finish line himself the first time. The victory lap has, you know, he didn't like to run to begin with. <laughs> so you have the Kavanaugh, which very emotional, and and you would, you should submit that that, that has helped the red state Republican candidates in, for the Senate for sure. And now he's injected. I mean, he's really put the throttle down on immigration on top of Kavanaugh. So yeah. I mean, the energy that he is injecting into these is is a lot. And Adam Belmar, um, you know, we had a couple, one real terrible tragedy in pittsburgh oh devastating and and then you also had the the pipe bomb episode and a lot of people believe that if republicans lose the congress or the house especially it is because of those events where people are kind of like this is all it's caused by trump do you think that's why he's doubling down no i i i hope not i really i don't believe it and i also hope that it's not true i don't think the president is being politically opportunistic because of these events. No, I'm not saying because of them, but it, he's really kind of going even more to change the narrative that this is that these events were caused by Trump, don't you think? God, that's really hard for me it, it, because 
I do believe that the president finds abhorrent violence uh, of almost any kind, even though he is prone to salacious rhetoric, that he is personally offended by what happened um, both in Pittsburgh at the synagogue there. Uh, I think despite the fact that the media so aggressively tried to blame him for the acts of a crazy man sending pipe bombs to what you called rightly his enemies list, and even a, a very underreported story of a white nationalist who, who shot and killed two elderly African Americans at a Kroger grocery store last week. These are all acts of extreme violence and cowardice perpetrated by individuals with no clear tie to anybody or anyone's rhetoric. And if we're going to break down rhetoric, there is, as the president said, and I don't mean to be too trite here, blame to go around on both sides. And I think the media has some responsibility. I think social media has some responsibility. Ultimately, it is the the responsibility of these idiots who are doing these things. But, you know, we also need to do a better job of reaching out to those people before they create these yeah. events and, and try to talk them off the, off the ledge. Um, it's all very tragic. Uh, let's get to theory number three, divided we stand. Um, so the political parties, if you, and John Easton, you were talking about this earlier, so many of these races are so incredibly close in both the House and the Senate. I think that there's 34 toss-ups in the House, according to Real Clear Politics. Real toss-ups. We have no idea which way they're going to go. And we also have 10 or 11 uh, races that are in the Senate that are within six or seven points. I mean, both Bob Menendez in New Jersey and Ted Cruz in Texas are at 6.5 percent ahead of the polls, which isn't very much in an election. Right. So is this a good thing that both political parties are so um, strong, or is this kind of just talking about the divisions of the country and terrible. I mean, it's just a complete reflection of the of the divisions of the country. How how equally divided this country truly is, and it also gives you a, a an idea of just how powerful independent voters are. And because the left and the right, the Democrats and Republicans, are, they're 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 really dug in right now, and I think that they're going to turn out uh, in, in in large numbers this election, and they're going to vote their their people. They're going to probably straight ticket it. Uh, for the most part, so I mean, like some of these congressional districts that um, are toss-ups, they are. I think I think the independent voters is gonna are, are gonna tip it over the edge. But you know, for people that to think that you know the Congress is divided. I mean, look how slim of the margin it is down in the House. I mean, the the Senate is fifty-one forty-nine. Right. So to, to watch a uh, a Senate race like Missouri forty-three forty-three. Or uh, Arizona, it's about the same. It's it's not really a surprise because I just, I just think that the two sides are so are that dug in, and and it's just that this country is that close. But you know, we expect our members of Congress and our senators to, you know, a lot of the voters out there anyway, no compromises, you know, or else I'm going to throw you out, kind of thing. When you have a Congress this divided, you can't get anything done if that's the approach you take. So it is just it, – it's a, it's a real – it's really ironic that, that the expectation is don't compromise, yet you absolutely have to unless – you know, to, to advance any legislation around here. So one good thing about this election, Adam Belmar, is turnout is going to be at historic levels for a midterm. Isn't that a good thing? Yeah, I do. <clears throat> Regardless of your politics, when we get more Americans – Uh, to the polls, that's a great thing. And I think it is also a bit of a victory for people 
uh, of all political stripes who rejected the president's assertion that there was great amount of voter fraud in the last election. I don't think that bore out to be true. I don't think that it's going to be the case here again. I do expect, however, that a week from today, even if things go the way we're talking about right now, that one of the headlines will be the media really got it wrong and polling was off again. Mm -hmm. The other thing I bet you is that there's going to be one race somewhere that's decided by less than 10 votes, which means that every vote does matter. Oh, Absolutely. you bet it does. So, John Eason, do you think that, that the reason why people are going out to vote is more because of Donald Trump, or is it because of the sophistication of get-out-the-vote operations and the fact that uh, the media is so fixated on politics these days? I, I, I'd, I'd give a lot of credit to this president for either uh, churning up voters against him or for him. And that is just a fact. Although I have to, I have to comment on a little side note. Just either walking around the neighborhood or, or watching TV, particularly cable news, uh, I, I, I feel like we're getting a lot of messages from whether it's anchors or I, I even saw the sandwich board down the street saying, you know, it's your civic duty to vote or, you know, make sure you vote kind of thing. And, and it's actually not saying, you know, vote Democratic or vote Republican. Although – we know. We know. The we know. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is so fascinating <laughs> about that, John, that, John Easton, is that the vote here in D.C. really doesn't matter. Right. But I, like Wolf Blitzer's telling everybody, you know, just just make sure you vote. Every and, vote matters, says John Fury. <laughs> but if you live in D.C., it doesn't <laughs> oh, We don't have an elected representative. No taxation without representation, Adam Delmar. Well, that's not true. We get taxed. And we get taxed. <laughs> and we don't get any representation. Um, do you, are there any local races that you're most interested in? Um, that you care about? The Marine Corps Marathon, was that a race you cared about? Was that, that was a race I cared about. <laughs> yeah, it's same with the Army 10-miler. Uh, no, I, I do think that we, I just got a pile. I, I live in the District of Columbia, as if you couldn't uh, tell. So do these two gentlemen. <laughs> and uh, I got a pile of, um, of mail, of political mail. And, and I, I made sure I put it aside. I made sure I went through every one of them just to see the kind of hit jobs that was going on. <laughs> because there are several... Uh, city council races that are that are very contentious and they are really going after each other. No, I don't have a big dog in any fight. I actually have to sit down and kind of read a little bit about it. But it's basically which Democrat do you, do you, do you support? Well, my, that, that's what it's going to be. And I, I, I have a guy, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, a guy named Michael Musante, and he likes to get, he, he's good because he gives me some thoughts on who's going to be more pro religious schools, which is something important to me as sending my kids to St. Peter's. On Capitol Hill, which is uh, 150th anniversary, if you want to contribute to St. Peter's, it's always a good idea. Um, take the burden off the parents. Uh, Adam Belmar, any local races you're focused on? Well, every day I come home, I'm forced to focus on a lot of these local races that John Easton's talking about. But that's mostly because I live next to um, some diehard Democrats who fly the resistance flag and have a, <laughs> have a yard sign. It's like it's like they have every single. I mean, just yesterday they put up one against. Uh, Interior Secretary Zinke, yeah. whose mm -hmm. time may well very be short, but uh, I'm confronted with it uh, personally every day. So when you live on Capitol Hill, you get to walk around. They're not yard signs for any candidates. They're little quotes from people kind of lecturing you about how you don't, you're not woke enough. And it's I find it extraordinarily annoying. But you know everything else about the hill is fine. I just don't want to get these little, little you know. 
aphorisms or quotes from they're le- they're lectures. They're lectures. They're lectures, That's and this all magically sprung up post Donald Trump's election. Like, okay, uh, we. If get I need it. a lecture, I'll call my mother. <laughs> I find it actually somewhat sanctimonious oh. because it's like they're saying, "Well, I'm I feel this way. You should feel this way. Well, maybe I do too." I don't need to be told. There's a lot of, we don't allow hate here. Right. <laughs> okay. All right. I got you. Um, John Easton, what are you buying or selling today? I was going to sell something local, uh, but I think we've talked enough about local. So I'm going to buy. This is a lot more sweet. So I'll, I'll, I'll keep it in that direction. Not good for those on the keto diet. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to buy. Uh, Halloween costumes on East Capitol in our neighborhood, or any neighborhood for that matter, especially sort of in the kindergarten, first grade uh, area, because that is truly the the sweet spot of Halloween. It's the cutest, it's the coolest, it's and, and the most creative. Last night, I'm I'm gonna buy this costume. I, last night I saw it was, it was a little girl by about gosh I want to say she was maybe five years old with her parents just walking, and you, I'm sure you saw this. She was a jellyfish, and oh, yeah, and the cool. And and it was clearly homemade. It was a it was a clear umbrella, right? And then it had these string lights that blinked, so white lights and a few, few green lights in there. I think she had like a clear helmet or some some sort of thing on, and then sort of like this white uh, costume on underneath. And as she walked, these strings would would flow like jellyfish. It was. One of the coolest costumes I have ever seen in my life. Well, yeah, that, that was a good one. Jack Cushman had a good one. Yeah, actually, I promised last week that I would showcase Jack Cushman's costume, which you're seeing right now. The young man, uh, just turning 10 years old, crafted this costume himself. He gives a little bit of credit to his mother, but mostly his own ingenuity. And as you can see, I think he carried it off quite well. Hopefully you'll also show my son's Dr. Pepper uh Costume. Yeah, that was, was also. It was, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty, pretty dark. And, and your daughter. Yes. I mean, are we going to share my daughter? Your daughter was was summer. She was summer seasons. of the four seasons. That was correct. That was fantastic. All right, what is your buyer sell? So I'm going to sell. Uh, I'm going to preemptively sell what is being reported in Washington D.C. as President Trump's nominee uh, would be nominee to be the next United States ambassador to the United Nations. Heather Nauert. Heather Nauert is a former Fox News reporter, correspondent, anchor. She's been serving ably and well as the uh, spokesperson for the administration at the State Department. I think she's done a great job. I also think that she's probably not either the best choice or the most qualified to represent the United States at the United Nations. And if the president likes good-looking women to be his spokespeople, that's just fine by me. But, Mr. President, you can do better. You can look harder. You can find people in the ranks of civil service and the foreign service to be your ambassador. And I wish you'd do that. Thank you. So uh, I'm going to buy, I guess, uh, although I'm not quite sure, that the keto diet. This started with uh, Topher and Deborah Cushman. And they got it, uh, uh, Jackie and Vince Hurley to start doing this. Has kind of, kind of gone through the St. Peter's Mafia. If you're John Easton, you don't need to worry about a keto diet. But when you're John Fury, and maybe Adam Belmar someday, uh, <laughs> you know, dieting. I, I'm not a big diet guy. I don't like it. But what I do like, I like bacon. I liked beer. I like bacon. I still like beer. I like bacon. I like you beer. Have- so I'm going to buy the bacon part. Of the keto diet because apparently you can eat a lot of bacon with this diet and that's a good thing but you can't eat any sugar 
you can't eat any um, you know, bread, which I really like bread. And so this is going to be a, a work in progress. We'll see how this goes. If, if over the next six months I look like I'm losing weight, and it's probably because of the keto diet. So we're going to buy that. At some point in time, though, we're going to sell it because I, I need bread and potatoes in my life. So essentially you're buying protein and selling carbs. <laughs> buying protein, selling carbs. That's what the keto diet's all about. And we're going to see how it goes. It's going to be a, a work. So, so wine is out. No, wine, you can have wine. <laughs> I thought it had a lot of sugar. You can it have, does. We keep debating this. He's in absolute denial. You can, have, what you can have a glass of wine. You can't have a bottle of wine. You're not going to be able to do that. Well, you can't have I'm a, not cutting out Oregon Pinot Noir just in case anybody was yeah, asking. You don't need to. That's fine. You're fine. I'm going to lose a couple pounds. Not too much. A few pounds. 20 pounds. All right. Anyway, um, thank you for joining the Fury Theory Podcast brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means excellent, excellent for, for business. business. Yeah, baby. B -b -b baby. That was funny last week. Oh. <laughs>